All right, good morning, Flatirons. Uh, I love how Carl's just on the other side of that wall, but the technology has the same delay as like a worldwide on-the-scene reporter in Afghanistan. <laughs> so I'm sorry, what? Come here. Um, Welcome. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. I'm glad you're here. Glad you chose to spend it with us. Uh, for the people watching uh, at other campuses or online, in case you missed it, uh, one of our pastors, Paul, had an allegation that the Nuggets cheated to get where they're at. And I'm a baseball fan, so I'm just like, if you're not cheating, you're not trying to win. So <laughs> who cares? Go Nuggets. <laughs> Uh, hey, but good morning. Welcome to, to, this is actually the final week of our study of Proverbs that we've called Word to the Wise. I'm glad you're here today. Um, in case you missed a few or, or maybe you're new, if you're new, welcome. But if you need caught up to speed, for the last six weeks, we've been studying the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, which is an ancient collection of wisdom sayings and precepts, all right? So basically, if you want to make wise decisions, if you want to live like a wise person, then do this. That's the book of Proverbs, all right? And if you've been leaning into this series, then you're starting to get a pretty good picture, uh, according to Proverbs, of what a person of wisdom looks like, all right? If you've been reading Proverbs yourself, you're starting to learn that a person of wisdom displays, just to name a few, displays humility and discernment and integrity and knowledge, self-control, prudence, teachability, patience. Again, that's just to name a few. Right? And if you're anything like me, then you sit in here on the weekend, you learn a new lesson from Proverbs, and you're like, ooh, that's really good, I should apply that. But at the same time, you're like, that's good, and also, I feel a little overwhelmed. Because when I look at that list, I don't just see a list of what wisdom looks like, I see a list of things that I'm terrible at, right? I see a list of things that I've got a lot of work to do on. And if I'm being honest, sometimes I look at the picture of wisdom in Proverbs, and I think to myself, like, that's just not possible. Like, how am I ever going to get there? I, I feel like I'm such a massive work in progress and there's just too much work to be done. I don't even know where to start. And so I get overwhelmed, right? And then if I stay in that overwhelmed mindset, that eventually leads to defeat. And I feel defeated before I've even tried to even like work on anything, Right? Hopefully some of you, you got no idea what I'm talking about. You can't relate. If that's you, congratulations. Just keep doing whatever it is that you're doing. But then for others of us, and I would assume probably most of us, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about the feeling of defeat. Right? For, for example, maybe you took up Jim's challenge from last weekend. All right? and you, you took a stab at being a person of integrity and you decided to bring some stuff into the light like he talked about, stuff that's been hidden for a long time. And you did that and you thought you were gonna feel like immediate relief or you were gonna start feeling like immediately like a wiser person. But instead what happened is you dragged out some skeletons from your closet and you were honest with people and people left you. Right? Or people are furious with you now. Or people are giving you the silent treatment now. Or, or maybe the people that you were honest with aren't treating you that harshly. But at the same time, it's like things aren't really fixed yet either. Right? It's like our marriage or, or that friendship. They, they feel about the same as they did last week. We did the wise thing. But it feels like our lives just stayed the same. Or maybe even got harder instead of easier. Right? We tried to apply what we've been learning, but we're not seeing any change. At least we're not seeing change as fast as we'd like to. And so we feel defeated. And then if we sit in that feeling of defeat for too long, that's when we start saying things to ourselves like, well, why even try in the first place? 
What's the point, right? Like why chase after all of this wisdom stuff if it doesn't seem to be changing my life yet? And inevitably, if you don't change that point of view, eventually you tap out. And tapping out doesn't always mean that you give up on on Jesus and faith. Tapping out can also mean you still believe, you still got faith, but when it comes to my spiritual growth and my spiritual maturity, um, I'm done. Like I've tapped out. This is as good as it's gonna get. And if any of you have ever felt that or you feel like that now, I get it, I really do. And so I wanna end our, our study of Proverbs by speaking to that feeling of defeat. Because Proverbs, along with countless other moments in scripture, they give us encouragement and some wisdom for what to do whenever you and I feel stuck in the feeling of defeat, all right? But before we jump into Proverbs, I think it would be good to talk about one of the reasons that you and I feel defeated and tap out so quickly, all right? I'm one of those people who I believe that all of us should be good students of our culture. What I mean is we should be aware of the world that we live in and aware of how it shapes us for better or for worse. And there's this value that our culture maintains that I believe leads to defeat for most of us. And this value is so deeply embedded into our culture that we don't even think about it anymore. And it has so deeply shaped all of us, myself included, that we can't quite imagine living without it. And this value from our culture is instant gratification. Okay, I think most of us are probably familiar with what instant gratification is. In case you're not, instant gratification is the idea that getting whatever you want as soon as possible is always a good thing. It's the idea that waiting to get what you want is something that we should try to make unnecessary. The simplest definition of instant gratification is the act of receiving a reward without having to wait or work for it. And because of so many advances in technology over the last 20 to 30 years, instant gratification has become the new norm for us, right? Because for the most part, we really can get what we want and usually we can get it now. And so this value of instant gratification is everywhere. I mean, think about it. For example, instant gratification is the engine that drives all of our streaming services, all right? Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Disney Plus, like they're all built around the idea of you should be able to watch whatever you want in the world and you should be able to watch it today. And we've come to expect that. I have come to expect that. Right, like last week I was looking for a very specific baseball documentary that I heard about that I wanted to watch. Couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't on any of the the services that Allie and I subscribed to and I genuinely felt like something wrong was happening in the world, (laughs) right? I don't know if you've ever felt that. I was ready to write a nasty letter. I just, I didn't know who to send it to, right? Like the idea that I can't watch exactly what I wanna watch right now in this instant, it felt like this should be illegal. It's 2023, right? How about Amazon Prime? This is instant gratification, right? Like I can still barely remember, like in a distant fog, this time in our past where we used to have to go to these places called stores to to get whatever we wanted. Don't have to do that anymore, right? I can get whatever I want shipped to my doorstep. I don't have to get dressed during the day to, to go to Target anymore. And then on top of that, Amazon Prime does their one day shipping thing right? So I'll end up spending more money just to get what I want today. You you know what I'm talking about, right? Like Amazon will be like, hey, if you spend 15 more bucks, we'll just give all this stuff to you today. Every single time I'm like, deal, done. 
Like, how, how could I possibly pass that up, right? And so the next thing I know, I'm buying something else that I don't really need just to make sure I get the original thing that I don't really need today. And every time it happens, I feel like I cheated the system. Like I pulled one over the man. Like every time I'm like, Ali, you're not gonna believe it. You're not gonna believe what I did for us, <laughs> right? We're gonna get that funky little pillow for side sleepers today. And all I had to do was throw in a panini press. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you don't eat paninis. We do now. We do today. We can eat them today. <laughs> Instant gratification. Get what you want and get it now. Right? Uber Eats is for people who want to eat takeout, but you don't want to drive to the restaurant to take it out of there. Right? Online grocery pickup, it gets you out of the dreaded experience of spending an hour in King Supers with your children. Dating apps are designed to match you with other people without having to do all the work of genuinely meeting people and getting to know them. Right? Advertisements feed off this. Pay attention next time you're watching commercials. They feed off instant gratification. Right? It's like you don't have to spend 10,000 hours mastering a craft. You can just subscribe to Masterclass and you can be a Gordon Ramsay level chef overnight. Right? Or you don't need to go to the gym and put the work in because you can buy this pill and lose 50 pounds in two weeks. And you don't need a steady job because you can get this free solitaire app and make $10,000 a month. That one cracks me up. <laughs> Who's making 10 grand a month playing solitaire? It's insane. Our world is advertising and aiming at instant gratification, the act of receiving a reward without having to wait or work for it. The problem with instant gratification is that it is essentially childish. And whenever you're being childish, you're not being wise. Instant gratification is childish, and we know this because this is how our children act, and it drives us absolutely insane, right? Like my kids could be ravenously hungry, starved, right? And we'll sit down and we'll eat dinner and they're devouring it. And the second that they hear they can have ice cream sandwiches afterwards, they're immediately stuffed. Like immediately. They're like, oh, that was delicious. I can't do one more bite. I'll take my ice cream sandwich now. It's insane. When, when I tell them that they have only a few weeks until summer, they think it's a lifetime. When I tell them we can ride bikes in 45 minutes, I might as well have said no. It's just like, it's not quick enough. It's not soon enough. It's not instant enough. Instant gratification at its core is childlike behavior. But because it's become so prevalent in our culture and society, you and I rarely take enough time to stop and realize that whenever we want what we want and we want it now, we're just a bunch of adults acting like children. Now, why do I bring up instant gratification? What in the world does this have to do with the book of Proverbs? Well, I think it's important for us to realize and admit how we've been shaped by our culture and how we've been shaped by this value of instant gratification. And I think it's good to know for us that this culture of instant gratification, it leads to defeat every single time, right? On the one hand, this is why I quit working out a month in every single time, right? It's like, I don't look like Brad Pitt from Fight Club yet. So what is the, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> What's the point, right? And then on the other hand, this is why so many of us feel defeated whenever we're trying our best to follow what Jesus said is a right and good and better life. We're trying, but we just feel like we're not seeing enough change. It's like we're so conditioned by instant gratification that if we don't change overnight, we start to wonder like, is Jesus actually working in my life? Is he actually changing me or healing me? And we begin to doubt that 
simply because we've been given the Jesus thing, the old college try for a few months now or for a few decades now, and we just don't seem to be like radically different yet. And so the thought becomes, why even try in the first place? Why, Why am I chasing after all of this if I don't feel like I'm changing? Why not just quit while I'm ahead? Your desires are right. You want to change. It just feels like we aren't. And so we start to feel defeated and we think it's happened now. And that's what I wanna tackle today together right now. I wanna talk about this cherry on the top of all the characteristics of wisdom that we have learned throughout the book of Proverbs. All right, it is this thing that will hold us together whenever we feel defeated. It's the thing that will keep us going whenever we feel like quitting. It's another reoccurring theme in the book of Proverbs and it is the theme of diligence. All right, what is diligence? Diligence is persistent work and effort in spite of difficulty or opposition. And a recurring theme in the book of Proverbs is that a wise person is a diligent person. And so I wanna look at this theme in Proverbs. I'm not gonna read every verse on diligence because there are too many. It would take the entire time. And so I'm gonna take a few verses that highlight three different aspects of what it looks like to be a wise and diligent person. And I think you and I are gonna see in 2023, living in an instant gratification society, we're gonna learn that these Proverbs are just as relevant today as they were thousands and thousands of years ago. All right, so first characteristic of a wise and diligent person in Proverbs. Our first verse goes like this. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Right? He who works his land will have abundant food. What does it take to work the land? Well, it takes blood and sweat and tears, and more than anything else, it takes time. I mean, even today in the 21st century, as much as technology and agriculture have advanced, there's still no shortcut to a harvest. It doesn't exist. For most crops, you're still looking at about 90 days to reap what you've sown, about three months from the time that you plant the seed until the time that you put the tomato on your hamburger, right? There are no shortcuts to a harvest. That's what I think the fantasies are in the second part of the verse, Right? The, the verse goes like this, he who works his land will have abundant food, but second part, he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. I think the fantasy here is the shortcut. It's a fantasy. When I hear about chasing fantasies, I can't help but think of all the get rich quick or the get skinny or get ripped or get a degree or get a girlfriend quick schemes that are out there right now. They're fantasies. They're not worth chasing after. In the same way, the wise person, according to Proverbs, understands that there are no like, shortcuts to spiritual growth and maturity. There are no shortcuts to becoming the kind of person that we've studied for the last six weeks. Someone who is humble, discerning, self-controlled, prudent, patient, teachable, and wise. This is what drives me as a pastor absolutely bonkers about the way some pastors and some preachers talk about prayer. They talk about it like it's a magic shortcut, like God is your little genie in a lamp. And if you just ask enough times or if you ask in the right magical way, then God will grant you a shortcut to whatever it is that your heart desires. Can God still work miracles in people's lives? Yes, I genuinely believe so. I just also know that the way God typically brings about change, especially change to your character, the way he brings that change is through diligence over time. 
Jesus healed so many people. He healed broken bones. He brought people back to life. He healed illnesses and diseases and he, he cured people of possession. Like he did all of this healing. He not once ever healed someone's character, not one time. He didn't ever say, boop, you're patient now. It just, it's not in the Bible, right? Instead, when it comes to people of character, Jesus goes, hey, I wanna walk with you through that one. I wanna go on this journey with you through that one doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. That means, for example, becoming a patient person, because that's the one I struggle with the most. It's not going to happen to me overnight. I wish it would. That's a fantasy. It's not worth chasing after, right? And so because of that, the idea that I'm just not there yet when it comes to patience is not something I should be thinking. It's going to take time. If I think that, I'm just going to get disappointed and then defeated, and then I'm going to tap out. Patience is something that will take time in my life, which is ironic, because I'm impatient. (laughs) I want it to happen now. But instead, what Proverbs says is you start planting seeds now. And then over time, you work the land, which means you cultivate these opportunities to build patience into my life. And only then do I have a shot at years from now reaping what I've sown, which is becoming a patient person. It's not going to happen overnight. It's the first thing we learn about the diligent person in Proverbs. A diligent person understands that change takes time. There's no way around that. All right, second characteristic of a diligent person in Proverbs is Proverbs 14, 23. It goes like this. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. All right, so putting in the work over time, it leads to results. But on the other hand, only talking about putting in the work, that will leave you empty-handed. And here's what I think. I think it would be fair to replace the word talk in that verse with the word desire. So in other words, all hard work brings a profit, but mere desire leads only to poverty. What do I mean by that? I mean desire, wanting something, wanting something to change in your life. Frankly, it's not enough. It's a great starting place. It's not going to get you to the finish line. This is with with every other area of life, right? I want my yard to be healthy and green. It's not enough for me to just want it. It's not enough for me to stand on the porch and look at my yard and be like, you can do it, buddy. We both want this, right? (laughs) Grow green and tall. It's not enough. I've got to like put in the work based on my desires. I've got to fix my sprinklers and reseed and pull weeds and fertilize and mow regularly. I've got to figure out either how to treat the grass that my dog pees on, or I've got to figure out how to lose my dog. I've just got to put in the work. I'll take advice on either of those, by the way. Either how to treat my grass or lose my dog without my kids finding, finding out. It's just going to take work to fix my yard, right? In an age of instant gratification, that sounds exhausting. Right, so I, I find myself saying things like, eh, screw it, right? We basically live in the desert anyway. Grass wasn't meant to grow here. Let's let the land return to its natural state. I say stuff like that because it just feels like too much work. In the same way, wanting, for example, to kick a pornography addiction, wanting that is not enough. I have had that conversation with men countless times. Someone will come up to me and I'll go, dude, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I'll go, great. That sounds awesome. What have you changed? And then I just get blank stares or I get answers. Like I'm just trying to remind myself that I want something new and I want something better and I don't want to do that anymore. Okay, great. What kind of hard, diligent work are you putting in? Because wanting it is not enough. 
You need to go make changes. You've got to go put the work in. You've got to go find people that you can surround yourself that you're honest with. And you've got to put a lot of new rules and boundaries into place. And you've got to make people aware of them. And maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone and get a flip phone. And you go, dude, that sounds a bit extreme. Okay, how extremely do you want it? If you want it, go put in the hard work. In an instant gratification society, hard work is something we're all trying to avoid. But then Proverbs says, wait a minute, all hard work brings a profit. It's mere talk and desire that'll leave you empty-handed. Wanting things to change is not enough. It's the second thing we learn about a diligent person in Proverbs. A diligent person understands that change takes not only time, but it takes a lot of hard work. There's no easy path to change. All right, third and last characteristic of the diligent person in Proverbs. This one's found in chapter 24. This one's a bit longer, but I love this one. All right, so uh, Solomon writes, he's out for a walk or something. And he goes, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the field of a lazy person, past the vineyard of a man who lacks judgment. What did he see? He saw that thorns had come up everywhere and the ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. And then Solomon says, I applied my heart to what I observed on this walk of mine and I learned a lesson from what I saw. And then here it is. Here's the lesson that Solomon took. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. He says this, a little sleep and a little slumber and a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. In other words, if you let off the gas a little bit or you take a little break or you let some things slide here and there, you will be left with nothing to show for all of the hard work and the time that you did put in. You will be left with scarcity and poverty. Your vineyard, your life will turn to thorns, weeds, and ruins faster than you would ever imagine. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. To me, this is the idea of thinking that we've arrived. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say you've been wise and diligent with something. To continue our example from earlier, let's say you put in the hard work over time and you've seen a lot of progress when it comes to your relationship with sex. It took a lot of time, it took a lot of hard work, but sexuality has stepped back into a place of righteousness in your life, which just means it's back in its right place. Well, that's great. You should celebrate that. But at the same time, whenever that happens, we become tempted to just kind of let off the gas and let off some of the accountability and the rules and the boundaries that we've put in place. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, a little bit of the, I don't need to be as diligent about that as I used to be, and poverty will jump you like a bandit. How many of us have had that experience? I have. It's like you put in so much hard work and you, you put so much time and effort into something and you got to see some progress, but then it just feels like there's this one stupid decision that you made and all of a sudden you're back at square one, right? And it's like the, the weeds and, and the thorns and the ruins, they showed up faster than we'd ever imagined. That's the, the third thing we learn from Proverbs about a diligent person. A diligent person understands that change takes time and hard work and perseverance, which means you just can't quit putting in all the time and the, and the hard work. What does all of this mean for us in, in the here and now? All right, well, God is always honest with us, even if the, the truth stings a little bit, even if the truth isn't quite what we wanted to hear in the moment. And so God is very honest with us, like on the one hand, that our biggest problem which is our sinful nature that separates us from God. He's honest. He goes, that problem is solved. 
And he goes, that change that you'll undergo from, from separated to relationship, from lost to found, from broken to forgiven. He goes, that change will happen overnight and it will take no diligence on your part. Jesus put in all of the diligence. Right? Jesus put in all of the time and hard work and perseverance that was needed. He marched to the cross. He was executed. He was resurrected so that you and I don't have to attempt to diligently earn our way into the kingdom of God. Jesus diligently earned that for us. That is good news. That's what Christians call the good news. It's the gospel. But then on the other hand, God is honest with us and he has some other news for us. And it's also good news, even though it's not quite what we wanted to hear in the moment. And that news is the fact that all the other change that we're looking for in this life, that might be freedom from addiction, or you want to have new desires or healed relationships with yourself and with other people, or more patience and understanding or less anger and bitterness. Like this thing we're chasing after that Jesus promised, which is like a a new and better and more abundant life in the here and now. God is honest with us that that kind of change takes diligence. He's just honest with us. He goes, that kind of spiritual growth and maturity, it's not going to be instant. It's not going to be overnight. Instead, it's going to take time and it's not going to be easy. It's going to take hard work. And frankly, there won't be an end date. You won't arrive like this side of death. Instead, it's going to take perseverance. Some of us are going, okay, cool, but is this the part where you cut to the chase and you tell us what we should be praying this week or you tell us the three simple steps to become a wise person faster? Listen, no, there is no special prayer. There are not three simple steps. There are just three hard ones. It's diligence. It is time and hard work and perseverance. There are no simple steps to becoming the kind of person that we've studied for the last six weeks, a person of wisdom. There is just time and hard work and perseverance. But that should be encouraging to us, which is why I wanted to to end the series this way. You're going, why would that be encouraging? That just sounds exhausting and it sounds like a, a lot of hard work. Here's why it's encouraging to me. Okay, we started this thing by talking about that sense of defeat that we feel sometimes, right? We live in an instant gratification society. And so we assume that as long as we're applying whatever we learned here in church, like I should be a totally different person by now, right? Like when it comes to movies or food or shopping, like we want what we want and we want it now and we get it now. And then we end up applying that same logic to the change that Jesus promised for our lives. And so we start wanting that change and we want it now, but it doesn't work like that. And if we expected to change overnight, if you expected to change radically over 10 years or 20 years, like if we don't understand that it's gonna take the rest of our life, we start to feel defeated and then eventually we tap out. And the fact that God is honest with us and he tells us that change takes diligence, which is time, hard work, and perseverance, that should be encouraging to us because it means you can tell yourself to shut up every single time that you tell yourself, I'm just not as far along as I should be right now. Stop it. Not true. I'm not as far along as I should be right. If you want to play that game, everyone on earth could say that they're not as far along as they should be right now because no one on earth is perfect. I don't care if you're Mother Teresa. She had all her own junk to work on, right? We don't even know what it is, secret junk. (laughs) That's a book I should write on grace. A book on grace, Mother Teresa and her secret junk. 
or God even forgave Mother Teresa. That's a better one. Um, I'm getting sidetracked. Here's my point. <laughs> my point is this. God knows everything, right? He knows where your journey started. He knows where your journey is going to end. He knows all of the mountaintop experiences and all of the really defeating valleys that you have already experienced and that you are yet to experience. And so God is not surprised or shocked with where you're at in your journey of growth and change today. Anytime you hear that little voice in your head going, you are not as far along as you should be right now. I don't know whose voice that is. It's not the voice of Jesus, all right? Those of us who know the voice of Jesus, we know he doesn't heap guilt and shame on our heads. It's not the voice of Jesus. Why? Because you are exactly where he expected you to be today. Listen to me so I can be clear. I'm, I don't mean that you're always where he wants you to be. I'm just saying that he's not surprised he is where he expected you to be on May 28th of 2023. Right, the more that you read your Bible and the more that you come to understand God's wonderful like, character and nature and his involvement in history, the more you understand that, you, the more you understand that God is in the business of the journey with you. I mean, he makes and he keeps promises about the destination, but he is much more focused on the journey. And you see this cover to cover in the Bible. Right, for the ancient Israelites, God promised them their own land, the promised land. It took them forever to get there. Later on in history, they were exiled from that land and God promised that they would return. It took forever for them to get back. All throughout the Psalms, you will read songs with lyrics like, how long, O Lord, how long? Like, God, why is this taking so long? God promised his people a Messiah, a rescuer, and it took thousands of years for Jesus to show up. And guess what? God promised us that Jesus would return and he would finally set the screwed up world straight again. And we have been waiting thousands of years for that promise to come true. God makes and keeps promises about the destination, but he is much more focused on the journey that it takes to get there. What does that mean for us? What have you and I been promised? Well, for you and I, if we've put our faith in Jesus, we've been promised that we are forgiven and adopted into the family of God, which means we've been promised that one day, even after death or before death, if we're the lucky crew who gets to witness Jesus' return, we've been promised that our destination is sealed and finished and inevitable. It will happen. We will one day live in perfection. We will one day live in a place like Revelation says, where there's no more mourning and there's no more death and there's no more sin. And God himself as a good king and good father will wipe every tear from your face. Our destination is perfection. Our destination is victory. And we are gonna get there. But it's gonna take the rest of our lives to get there. And it is that journey, that journey called life, this lifelong journey, this lifelong process of trying to figure out how to live righteously now, this lifelong process of basically what we're trying to do is prepare our hearts and souls and minds and strength for the inevitable perfection that we will one day get to enjoy. It's that journey called life that God is so deeply devoted to and committed to in your life. And he knows there's going to be ups and he knows there's going to be downs. He just wants to walk it with you. This is why Paul, who wrote a pretty significant chunk of the New Testament, he says this to his friends. He wrote a letter to his friends. He opens it like this. He goes, I thank my God every time I remember you. 
And in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, why is Paul so happy and thankful and joyful? It's because of this. He says, I'm confident of this, confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul goes, it's gonna take the rest of our lives, but I am confident that Jesus will finish the work that he started in us. Paul knows, he knows victory is inevitable. He knows that your destination is promised. He knows that we will get there. He just also knows it's gonna take the rest of our lives. What is Paul's response to that awesome truth? Well, it's not to hit cruise control and it's not to slack off. Instead, his response is diligence. He writes just a few verses later. He goes, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. So he goes, I'm not there yet and I'm not perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he goes, I'm not slacking off on this journey either. He goes, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So again, I'm not there yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So you're not there yet. Okay, no one is. Oh, I'm not as far along as I should be by now. Okay, nobody feels that way. We're all, we're all wishing we were further along than we are right now. Here's the truth that we're supposed to live under. It's not that guilt and shame. The truth that we're supposed to live under is that the prize has been earned and the destination has been promised and the victory is an in- inevitable and all that's left for us to do is to press on and forget what's behind and instead strain toward whatever it is that God's got in store for you. Live diligently, put in the time and the hard work and the perseverance that every epic story of journey requires. You've never read a book or watched a movie about an epic journey that happened overnight and it didn't take any hardship. Go live an epic life, an epic journey. Put in the time and the hard work and the perseverance. And so I wanna leave you today and end this series with the mantra of every wise and diligent person who's ever walked this earth. It is the mantra of God's people for thousands and thousands of years now. The mantra of God's people is don't quit now. Don't tap out, press on, right? Strain forward, take hold of the life that Jesus promised you and don't let go, persevere, show some freaking grit and don't quit now. That goes for every day and every situation. Okay, let's say that you're in here right now and it's been a really rough go of it. Things are really difficult. Don't quit now or you will never get to reap what you have already sown. And then for others of us, we might be on cloud nine, right? We've been putting in the work and we've been putting in the time and we're starting to see some fruit of it. Dude, don't quit now. Don't fold your hands and rest now. Keep sowing, keep going. Don't quit now. Some of us are going, well, dude, I'm, I'm trying to live differently. I just, I, I've been doing this for decades and I feel like I haven't changed a ton. Okay, that's because change takes your entire lifetime. It takes time, get used to it. I've said this before, but I, I genuinely believe that following Jesus and being a Christian is the same as raising your hand and saying, I'm so screwed up that God himself has to fix me and it's even gonna take him the rest of my life. That's what it means to be a Christian. It takes your entire life. You you, you can quit when you're dead. And I mean that literally. (laughs) Like 
When you're dead, you finally can quit being diligent. It's gonna take the rest of your life. It's gonna take time. Don't quit now. Others of us are going, when, when I look at my life, I feel overwhelmed. It's that Taylor Swift song. The problem is me, right? I, there's just too much work to be done. Okay, everyone feels that way. If someone tells you they don't feel that way, they're either not being honest with you or they're not being honest with themselves because there's no way around it. Change takes hard work and there's a lot of change to work on. Don't get overwhelmed by it. Start small, start chipping away. What is one part of your life that you could display more wisdom? One part of your life that you could realign with what Jesus says is best and true. Get after it, don't quit now. And then still others of us are going, dude, I get it, but you don't, right? Because I was doing really, really well, you know? And then, then I screwed up and it's like, I am all the way back at square one. I don't even know if I can crawl my way back into the game this time. Okay, been there and done that. I bought that t-shirt. Right? My closet is filled with those t-shirts. The truth is you and I have been forgiven, which means we can pick ourselves up, we can brush ourselves off and we can keep going. Change takes perseverance. Forget what's behind, forget what happened yesterday and press on and don't quit now. Flatirons, let's keep chasing after what Jesus is teaching us both in this room and outside of it because even though it's gonna take the rest of our lives, I have I've staked my life on this confidence. I am absolutely confident that he who began a good work in all of us will absolutely bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus, and he will finish what he started in us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your unswerving dedication to us. God, we, we, a lot of us, we have quit on ourselves and you never quit on us. God, we're trying to figure out what it looks like to persevere. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to live diligently. And since the beginning of time, you have just diligently loved us. You have put in the time and the hard work and the perseverance. You never once gave up on us. I thank you so much for that. God, even though we talked a lot about the, the change that we all have to make in our lives and the, and the dedication and the diligence that it's gonna take that can start to feel overwhelming, God, that's not what I intended, but I'm just some dude talking words. Can you please like speak into people's hearts and give them the encouragement and the grace that they need to hear today? You're not shocked with what happened yesterday. You're not shocked with what happened last year. You are telling us to pick ourselves up, brush ourselves off and continue the journey with you. You wanna walk up all those mountaintops with us and you wanna walk down into all those dark valleys with us because you're committed to our journey. God, thank you for being the kind of God who is not scared of us or grossed out by our own sin. Thank you for being the kind of God who put your money where your mouth is. You forgave us so that you could walk this journey with us. I love you so much and I love you and I thank you for the person that made all of this possible for us that, so that you could walk this journey with us and that person's name is Jesus Christ, your son and it's in his holy name that I pray, amen.